I'm Guy Kawasaki, and this is Remarkable People. This episode's remarkable guest is Erica Duan. Erica is a digital collaboration and communication maven. This means she helps people build connections and trust, even if their interaction is via emails, text messages, and virtual meetings. Her latest book is called Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Communication No Matter the Distance. She has an MPA from Harvard Kennedy School, the Public Policy School of Harvard University, an MBA from MIT Sloan, and a BS from Wharton. Reading her book, watching her videos, and conducting this interview made me question some of my own digital practices, honestly making me a little paranoid and more careful when using digital communication tools. She is going to make you think about the details of digital communication like you never have before. There's always room for improvement. This episode of Remarkable People is brought to you by Remarkable, the paper tablet company. Yes, you got that right. Remarkable is sponsored by Remarkable. I have version 2 in my hot little hands and it's so good. A very impressive upgrade. Here's how I use it. 1. Taking notes while I'm interviewing a podcast guest. 2. Taking notes while being brief about speaking gigs. 3. Drafting the structure of keynote speeches. 4. Storing manuals for the gizmos that I buy. 5. Roughing out drawings for things like surfboards, surfboard sheds, and office layouts. 6. Wrapping my head around complex ideas with diagrams and flowcharts. This is a remarkably well thought out product. It doesn't try to be all things to all people, but it takes notes better than anything I've used. Check out the recent reviews of the latest version. I'm Guy Kawasaki, and this is Remarkable People, and now here's the remarkable Erica Duan. I read your book. Yep. Now, Erica, I am paranoid. Every text message, every email, I'm thinking, oh, am I supposed to put Dear Erica no, or no, Dear Erica? Meant, no, it's meant to help you. It's I know. It's meant to help you not be paranoid. Do I say sincerely, comma, or thank you, comma, or thank you very much? I'm like so worried. I did not want to cause you more stress. I wanted to do the opposite. <laughs> Um, what exactly has email, text, and virtual meetings done to interpersonal communication? Research shows that roughly 60 to 80% of our face-to-face communication is our nonverbal body language, pacing, pauses, gestures, tone. In a world of emails, texting, instant messaging, That traditional body language hasn't necessarily disappeared. It has transformed. We now infuse digital body language signals, whether we know it or not. The problem is most of us are sending cues and signals blindly, accidentally, or just plain wrong. And what that's causing is a crisis of misunderstanding at work and at home. Do you think that in the old world, at least some people thought when I cross my legs and cross my arms and roll my eyes, I'm giving a signal. But do you think that they have any appreciation that the way they're sending an email, the time, the, the length, the sign off, whatever, does anybody have a concept that that's what they're doing now? I think we often have a concept when we're on the receiving end. If you've ever been someone who's worked for a boss who constantly sent you 
text saying, call me now in all caps, or a potentially passive aggressive email saying, why didn't you finish this from Jane? Uh, you would start to wonder what might be, what might they be saying beyond what they are saying? When we get messages that are ambiguous, that are brief, that lack context, we're left to wonder what they truly mean. And the mission with writing my new book, Digital Body Language, is to one, help us understand the signals we are sending, even if we don't intend to. And more importantly, try to move to more thoughtfulness and emotional nuance in digital communication. There are so many places that you can inadvertently send body language. <laughs> Which form of email? What time? How do I address the person? How do I sign off? I mean, there's so many variables that in my mind, I thought, this is impossible. How can anybody ever keep this in mind? But then I thought, I'm Japanese, and Japanese, hiragana has 47 characters, katakana has 47 characters, and kanji has about 50,000 characters. So are you asking us to learn nothing worse than Japanese? I mean, in a sense, if, if you memorize 50,000 kanji characters, you can probably memorize 50,000 concepts of digital body language. Absolutely. In many ways, digital body language is like learning a new language. I grew up as an Indian immigrant and at home, my parents spoke Hindi, which meant at school, I had to really struggle and adapt. I had accented English and so much of my childhood was adapting to American body language as a language. And what I realized was that today we're all immigrants to digital body language. There isn't just one language. We actually all have different languages, just like we have different regional dialects or cultural accents. We may communicate differently across genders or even age groups. And so what I think the opportunity is for all of us is to avoid getting caught up or ruminating and instead, remember that there are different languages in digital body language. For some, a period at the end of a text can signal passive aggressiveness, especially for digital natives. For others, it's just good grammar. For others, in all caps, email can feel like shouting. It can feel like excitement or it can feel like urgency. And if you're my 75-year-old father, it's because he doesn't know how to uncaps an email <laughs> in his messages. And so at the end of the day, we have to remember to not get emotionally hijacked. And that's a big mission of this book. We have to assume best intent and go back and check if our interpretations are correct. Ask ourselves, am I using the right medium? Is this person a phone call person versus an endless reply all chain type of person? Secondly, am I being clear in my language? I like to say reading messages carefully is the new listening and writing clearly is the new empathy. And third, am I being thoughtful about tone? Especially in digital communication, tone can get lost and we can actually bring it back whether it's through an all caps or an exclamation point or an emoji, or just through deciding that we're gonna write a one-liner, which can signal I'm working quickly, or it can also signal that we're close friends. And I know that you'll trust me when I'm writing a short, curt message. My favorite part was the concept of digital immigrant. Yeah. You literally mean, if I may interpret that, if you are an American and you are transferred to the Japanese office and all of a sudden you just throw business cards around, you don't present it, you're an immigrant, right? You're a tremendous faux pas there. That's right. If we are adapting to a different culture, we have to learn the nuances 
of that culture. And I'll give you an example that will bring this to life. Arvind, who works in Mumbai at a tech company, got an email request from one of his peers, Sam in San Francisco, a global tech company. Now, Sam wasn't getting a response from Arvind. And it was because he didn't realize that in the India office, it was much more hierarchical. He needed to email Raj, Arvind's boss, and CC Arvind to be able to get that job done. And so this is just an example of what we all knew is sort of the nuances in traditional body language have to be adapted and we have to learn these cultural cues even in digital body language. Now, in that example, in America, if I were to email your boss and CC you to get you to do something, an American would say, why did he or she have to go over my head and involve my boss? That's this right. is a power play, right? So it's just the opposite conclusion. Just the opposite conclusion. Whereas in India, it was actually a sign of respect for Arvind's mm -hmm. boss and gave the signal to Arvind to complete the work. So I have to ask you, how the hell do we thread this needle? Like I said, ever since reading your book, I am so paranoid about sending anybody any digital communication. One of the reasons I wrote this book is because I saw this crisis of misunderstanding. I recently ran a study of thousands of office workers and found that on average, employees are wasting up to four hours per week on poor, unclear, or confusing digital communication. So if you didn't think this mattered before, as we all know, the last year has taught us that it matters more than ever. And it will matter actually even more as we move back to hybrid work, where we're running teams where half of the people are in the office and half of the people are coming in on video screens or on conference calls. And so when it comes to threading the needle here, what my goal was, was to introduce a set of four laws that are reminders that will allow all of us to create that sense of connection despite our differences and to actually be thoughtful of our differences. Can I go through the four laws? Of would it course. Be helpful there? So the first law is that we have to value others visibly. And pre-pandemic, a lot of the ways that we valued others was through handshakes, head nods, meeting in the office. Today, I like to say valuing others visibly is valuing their time, their inboxes, and their schedules, and knowing how to engage them to ask ourselves, what might be their digital body language style? And how might it be different than mine? Are they an introvert? Will they be more apt to share in a one-on-one -on -one phone call or in the chat in a video call versus just me asking who wants to share? Well, usually just hear from extroverts. The second is we have to communicate carefully. And really all this means is thinking before we type. Uh, I'll never forget an example where I sent a message to a leader saying, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? And he responded, yes. And I like to share that story because reading messages carefully is the new listening and writing clearly is the new empathy. The third law is collaborate confidently. And what this really means is we have to prioritize thoughtfulness over hastiness. It's easy to reward the fastest person to respond, the quickest person who jumps in on a video call, but actually taking the time to be thoughtful of these cultural, gender, generational nuances, the fact that there are nuances in traditional body language that we learn as we go to different countries of the world or even countries within our own businesses. And so collaborating with that confidence is about taking the time to learn those new nuances Last but not least, the fourth law is trust totally, which is simply assume the best intent. Don't ruminate or rush to judgment. 
take the time to really ask for clarity. And last but not least, use the right channel. I like to say a phone call is worth a thousand emails. So hopefully we can thread the needle by using these four laws to make sure we're not rushing to judgment and we're not ruminating about what to write. We're actually giving others the good intent that they will get what we mean as well. I'm going to ask you some really tactical stuff because this is kind of like a Japanese teacher is going to quiz you about kanji. Okay. I'm used to Indian teachers. So tell me when a platform is optimal. So when is email optimal? When is text? When is stack? When is video? When is phone? What are the, this is the sweet spot. This guy is when you should use email and text and Slack and video and phone. So choosing the right digital channel yeah. isn't just good productivity practice. It can make or break project completion, ownership, trust levels, confidence with team members. And there are three factors you have to consider to decide which digital channel to use. The first factor is complexity. The second is urgency. And the third is familiarity. I'll go through all three. Complexity. Generally, different channels imply a different level of complexity. If it's a yes, no answer, it may be a quick IM, a text message, a Slack message. If it involves nuance, brainstorming, whiteboarding, detailed decisions, knowing when to send that thoughtful email or switching and scheduling a video or phone call with a thoughtful agenda before <laughs> can really showcase that you're valuing others visibly. You're not sending deep, complex messages in a quick IM where people don't have the context to answer. The second is urgency. Do you need it in five minutes or five days? You don't want to be that serial texter when something isn't needed urgently. Remember that each different channel has an implied urgency. Text may be one to three hours. IMs maybe respond within that same business day in my time zone. Email may be 24 hours, even up to two to three days. It depends on the industry and the business. And video calls may be a bit more. It takes two to three days up to a week to actually schedule a call sometimes even two to three weeks, depending on uh, the senior level of the person. The third factor is familiarity. How well do you know this person? And what is the trust level and what is the power dynamic? Now, if there's a high power dynamic, you are often working with an assistant to schedule a meeting on their calendar to build that trust. If this is a, a high trust dynamic, maybe you're sending them that quick Slack message around something, or you're sending them a text to say, can I call you now? And knowing actually the complexity, the urgency, and the familiarity will allow you to know which channel to use, Slack, email, all the nuances. The other thing that's important is there are best practices within each channel as well. So once you know which channel to choose, we got <laughs> to clarify, first of all, use the right channel uh, and make sure you're not emailing for stuff that you're slacking. Have some norms. If we use this on Slack, we don't email about it. You don't want to have multiple channels or streams of information. Secondly, in email, I like to say subject lines are everything. They can make or break whether someone will read your email, get to the point, clarify what you need from the other person. And remember the body of your email should read like a website. People read it like bullet points, bolded underlined headings, get to the point. Uh, and last but not least, when it comes to video or phone calls, have an agenda. It actually make it, unless it's a quick one-off where there's high trust and you're calling someone out of the blue for five minutes, be thoughtful of people's time. And it can actually make or break whether introverts engage in that meeting. If they don't have time to really digest the, the intent of the meeting, they may not be ready to share. You touched on it just now, and this is one of my favorite subjects, no pun intended. So what makes a great subject line? 
What makes a great subject line? A great subject line gives others clarity on what you need from them. How about you need someone to reschedule a podcast recording? Oh, there we go. Good one. So, if you need to reschedule a podcast re- recording, having a clear subject line saying "need to reschedule podcast" if there's high trust, maybe suggesting a new date, six fifteen, four p.m. ET. Okay? Question mark. That can actually be helpful, and that's beneficial when there's high trust. But if you don't know someone as as well, maybe you want to err on the side of formality. Have the subject line being "need to reschedule podcast" and then the details. In the email, here's the Calendly link to do it. If this is a team member, remember that you don't want to resort to just project update. Maybe having a detail: what's the project? What is the work required, and when is it needed? Actually, thinking about the who, what, when can be effective, so that individuals can prioritize. At the same time, we don't have to read into this too much. If there's high trust levels, people will get what we mean. But remember. That subject lines can help individuals prioritize what they open first. So, if you want to be read, and if this is a priority, clarify if it's a priority. Say need in four hours. I recommend even acronyms like 4H, which means need this in four hours, or 2D, which means I need this in two days, or one of my favorites, NNTR, which means no need to respond. So that individuals aren't responding. Okay, or thank you. But- Again, clogging your inbox. When I send an email, I would like to use the acronym NRN, which is no reply necessary. But I am afraid that when I do that, I'm basically telling somebody, "I don't really give a shit what you're going to say, so no reply necessary." So, am 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 I paranoid here, or is this a generational thing? Because if I told my wife I'm going to go surfing NRN, that's Might not go over as might not go over as well. Exactly. That's absolutely right. <laughs> a lot of this goes back to the the focus on who is your audience here mm-hmm. and knowing your audience. With the example I shared around NRN or no need to respond or one of my favorites, which is on a weekend writing ROM, which means respond on Monday, so that your teammates don't feel like they have to respond all weekend and rush something to you. Is probably more appropriate for teams or colleagues you work with often versus those you're trying to sell something to, or those uh, that are family members, especially a spouse. Uh, and at the end of the day, what I think is important is we've kind of defaulted, especially in the last year, to feel like we used to, you know, walk by someone's office and have that five-minute chat or call them. For like six minutes and discuss something and be done. Now we feel like everything has to be a thirty-minute video call meeting in order to be polite to them, but it actually doesn't. I actually think a big part of digital body language is bringing some of that clarity and sanity back, which is let's not waste your time. Let's have ten-minute meetings. Let's start every meeting with here's what we want to achieve. My goal is to end ten minutes early so that you can all get back to work, and you'll find that people will avoid multitasking. Now, again, this is probably best more for team meetings、uh, versus a new client opportunity. But what is important is that digital body language is just as much about respecting people's time and giving them cues that they don't need to respond to everything as it is giving 
certain people the space that they need to share at any hour and at length. How about the nuances of key differences between men and women, old and young, rich and poor, higher and lower education or cultures? What are some key differences because men are from Mars and women are from Venus? Let's start with gender because you shared a few. Now, we've all, or many of us have heard of the books, whether it's men are from Mars, women are from Venus and the differences in communication styles and traditional body language. Now, when it comes to digital communication, I'll couch this with a few things. A lot of the digital communication research has not sped up to the times of the gender spectrum. But what I have found is that similar to up talking and voice pitch dynamics, or maybe perceptions of bias in traditional body language, there are digital body language gender biases. In fact, one recent study by linguist showed that when a younger woman in the workplace used multiple emojis in an email compared to a man at any rank level in that same workplace, the woman was more likely to be seen as potentially incompetent. The man was more likely to be seen as casual or friendly. On the flip side, research also shows that women feel pressured to soften their digital communication, almost like using hedging language or filler words in their verbal language in digital communication, whether it's multiple exclamations or non-adverb spelling. So saying so with multiple O's. I mean, I'm even a culprit. I share a story about how I kept using the word just in emails. Could you just do this so I could just do this? And my husband had to like help me delete them. There's actually an app for anyone called Just Not Sorry that will help remind you in your Gmail to not say sorry too much in emails. (laughs) Um, So this can help us all, whether you're a woman or man or non-binary. But really when it comes to gender, what I found is that there's a masculine tone of digital body language and a feminine tone. Masculine tone is much more direct to the point, fast response times, much more assertive language, obviously must do things. Feminine styles are more filler words, exclamations, emojis, non-adverb spelling, preferring video calls over just emails. I know women that have a masculine style, men that have a feminine style. Uh, We have to just check our bias. We have to assume that that man with the masculine style isn't just curt and abrasive. He's just using a masculine tone and the feminine style that person, whether a woman or a man, isn't incompetent or immature, but actually just speaking in their own authentic digital voice. Again, we have to know our audience But what I really hope is that we can assume good intent as well. Old versus young. When it comes to generational differences, what I found is that there are different spectrums as well. On one end, there are digital natives. And on the other end, they're who I call digital adapters. They're more like the digital true immigrants. Now, digital natives often grew up in the world seeped in the conventions of digital body language. So they don't know a world without signals like a period at the end of a text obviously means passive aggressiveness. They also (laughs) don't know a world without things like a phone call out of the blue kind of feels intrusive. And don't send me a voicemail, send me an email instead. They like fast, short response times. Digital adapters are like, pick up the phone, stop sending me emails. They prefer those longer messages. They may be more formal in even emails or other channels, whereas a digital native may really prefer those one-liners. And I'll give you an example. I'm a digital native. When my father sends me a, a, a text message, he's a digital adapter. It starts with Dear Erica and ends with Love Dad. And I have to scroll through it because it's as long as a letter. And I haven't quite taught him that a text is not the same as a letter. Another fun fact is ellipses. 
for older generations, they tend to use them dot, dot, dot as casual conversation, sort of a continuation of a discussion. For digital natives, they often interpret them as passive aggressiveness because that's how they were used in AOL Instant Messenger. We have to assume good intent. We have to remember to check our own biases and be thoughtful that not everyone may use many of these digital body language signals the same way as us. Oh my God, my head is exploding already. Uh I, I thought my head was going to explode when Jane Goodall told me about climate change, but now this is much closer. To well, to in many ways, I think the goal is to remember that there are differences. So let's not get emotionally hijacked by it okay. and assume that good intent instead of resorting to paranoia. Maybe, Although I think I created more paranoia for you. You, you. I would argue that that is a sign of intelligence that at least I know I should be yes, paranoid. You are conscious. Yes. That we, we can be more thoughtful about this and resonate better with others. And I think it brings it back to one simple thing I share in the book. In all of our communications, ask yourself, who has more or less power and how much do we trust each other? And if you have more power, maybe take the time to be a bit more careful that sometimes your brevity can cause confusion for someone junior. If you have less power, err on the side of formality first. And then as you get to know someone, show your authentic style, trust levels. If there's high trust, be yourself. Be quick to the point, if there's low trust, know which channel to use. And if we just ask ourselves these two questions, we can avoid getting lost or creating more misunderstanding. I've sent you maybe four emails to get to this point. So it would be interesting to look at my emails before I read your book and after I read your book. I'm telling you, the last email I sent you, I said, oh man, I really got to craft this thing because shit, I know she's going to judge me. <laughs> well, the good news is I don't judge. I, I find people that are so afraid to get on a video call with me now because I they're worried about why. their video call background. <laughs> and one of the lessons that I hope to share is that we should stop judging people for their video call backgrounds. Obviously, if we're doing a presentation, make sure it's formal. Make sure we don't have an unmade bed behind us. But we have to really assume good intent here because we are all in different places and spaces. I will say your last email was excellent because it included a few things. Number one, what? it had a good subject line. It, it was related to our call today. Number two, you actually asked me, you showcased that you were listening, that you read the book. You said, how'd I do in this email at the end? <laughs> Number three, you set expectations for our call today. You sent me the recording link, which I took three minutes to get on. So I was delayed and reminded me to make sure I have my external mic on. And so those three things, a good subject line, clarity on what was required before the meeting started, and actually some thoughtfulness showcasing how you prepared for the meeting were just indicators to me that you were serious and the real deal. The reason why I changed this recording was because I had to attend a memorial service. I thought, I better yeah. throw in a line and that's so that she really knows that I went. I wasn't just blowing her off, trying to make and an excuse. And there I go missing that because I did read that, but I, I, I will be a little truthful here. I read the email very quickly because well, I was on video calls all day. And that's the other thing that we have to be careful of. We can often rush through messages and sometimes not read exactly what individuals are saying. And I think taking the time to remember that we can't respond to everything with 30 minutes of thoughtful typing, but being thoughtful of when we need to take the time and when we don't need to is important. And, and as well as sometimes just replying back and saying, got it, I'll respond to you on Tuesday. If it's not urgent, as well as 
cases where you can't respond because it's not priority or cases where you really need to respond urgently because it is important. You, you better frame that email that I sent you. <laughs> now I'm going to be self-conscious about the response I sent to you. <laughs> I have an idea. This is completely an aside. So I think that you, or I can do it for you, we should contact Grammarly, okay? Mm -hmm. And we should say, you need to add a new module to Grammarly. So Grammarly Pro or whatever, you'll not just get grammatical errors. You'll also say, do you, you know, this ellipse means you're pissed off. Do you understand that? I, I think you could do a whole thing about building all this etiquette rules, kanji rules into Grammarly. Wouldn't that be a great thing? I and then you can make millions great of dollars. Idea. Let's do it. Do I'm it. dead serious. Are we starting a business on no, this no, podcast? No. no, we're not starting. A, I just think Grammarly should pay you to, to I, why I not? Think, I think that whether it's a Gmail plugin, whether it's Whatever. Grammarly, first, I hope that individuals would just read the book because then they'll become more knowledgeable. But, but taking a step back and just asking ourselves a few simple questions before we hit send, whether it's, did I give the recipient exactly what they need to do next? The second question is, did I showcase the right tone depending on this individual, the power, the trust levels I have? And then the third question is, am I using the right medium? Sometimes we just rush to type when it really should be a quick phone call or it really should be a thoughtful video meeting. And sometimes we set up those video meetings that really should be a five minute phone call. <laughs> just FYI, the best subject line for me not when I'm sending, but when I'm receiving, the best subject line is, I loved your book, or I love your podcast. If that's the subject line, I read every email. <laughs> there you go. A couple more quick tips that yeah. I've seen in research. If you put someone's name, so if I yeah. put your name, comma, I love your podcast, that tends to do well. Oh. Also, the timing of your emails can be helpful. Tuesday mornings is much better than a Friday afternoon. And when it comes mm -hmm. to other channels, like calling people out of the blue, if you want to catch them in between meetings, call them at the 20 mark or the 50 mark of an hour because they're usually finishing up another meeting. <laughs> Okay. Here we go. Digital oh body God. language uh, across channels. Now I'm just going to rock body language soon. You already so, do. I, I got to say, <laughs> pretty good at it already. Hey, I, I want you to know another power tip. This is promotional and power tip. So uh, you see me using this thing. So this is a remarkable tablet, which we're going to send you one because you're on the Remarkable People podcast. And so I craft all my questions in advance. And then I sync to this tablet and this tablet has a pencil. And so I am taking notes and marking off what I've gone through and, you know, adding stuff as I, it pops into my head. And the reason why I do this and I make a point to show you that I'm writing on it is because I think when people see people writing with a pencil, they think, ah, this person is paying attention yeah. and thinks what I'm saying is important enough to take notes. Whereas if you see somebody typing, you think that asshole is answering email. And Absolutely. I don't want you to think I'm answering email when you're answering my question on this podcast. So that's I, why. I, I think that is a huge, true statement. However, I would yeah. say that 
digital natives often relate to that statement differently than digital adapters. Digital uh -oh. adapters are those uh -oh. that really grew up in analog body language. And so they uh -oh. know it actually showcases that you're smart if you're writing down ideas. We all know the power of that nodding, using okay. those cues in a room. But for digital natives who grew up in a way where talking is really texting or tweeting that's yeah. similar, there are many of them that say, why am I wasting my time writing this on paper when I actually would prefer typing these notes during this meeting, summarizing them, and within five minutes of that meeting, sending out the email with a summary of what just happened in this meeting. Uh, and so uh -huh. I would actually say that this is the moment to actually set some explicit cues. One of the things I've been doing, because I actually am the opposite. I, I actually love the remarkable tablet, but I prefer typing some notes instead of writing the notes because then I have to move the handwritten notes to the screen. And so I'll say, just so you know, I'm going on mute, but I'm taking notes uh, so you know why I might be typing during this meeting. And you can't always do that, but sometimes actually making it explicit is important uh, in video meetings today. Well, I have an even better answer for you. So when you take notes on a remarkable tablet, you can have the remarkable tablet do OCR and email you digitized Great. handwriting. So that may be the best of all worlds. There, but there, I think that actually just bridged and solved the problem for all of us. <laughs> Another sort of down in the weeds question here, because I think many people will be affected by this, which is the nuances of addressing i.e. to BCC or CC, and the greeting, dear Erica, Erica, mm -hmm. comma, Erica, hyphen, Erica, colon, whatever, and the complimentary close. Thanks, best wishes, sincerely, whatever. So what regards your, or work? Yeah, or ta-ta for now. What are the nuances here of these components of an email? So let's start with the power dynamics of the two CC, BCC, reply all, forward. In many ways, they are synonymous to how people sit across a boardroom table. If someone's at the head of the table, they're sort of the main stage, the two line. The CC is around the table. Those that are sitting behind the table, maybe they may be spying, <laughs> are in the BCC uh, or maybe out of the room, but somehow they are they are listening or observing and those that you forward something to you sent the notes of that meeting to them so i do think it's important to set some norms around when we use each of these different signals my general rule of thumb is if you're on the two line you expect them to respond they are essential to respond okay unless you say ntr or nntr like we discussed the second cc these are people that just need to read it. They don't necessarily need to respond. And in more hierarchical organizations, like in that India office, they may be those that may be more junior or those that um, aren't the senior level of authority, but should be involved in the discussion. The BCC, I generally recommend not using it unless you want to avoid reply all. It can often feel like spying. There was actually a study that showed that Organizations that tend to use BCC more have a higher level of distrust and fear. So especially in our world of email communication, I recommend not using it unless you want to avoid that reply all. And then forward, when you forward things, I recommend clarifying why did you forward it. If you just do a forward with an FYI, sometimes people don't know 
does that mean they need to do something? Does that mean they just need to read it? Is it a work request? And if it's not clear, you're creating more miscommunication. So just have a standard around clarifying that. And last but not least on reply all, don't reply all unless everyone needs the reply all. And if they do, or if you loop other people in or you loop people out, clarify that. So let people know I BCC this person to not clog their inbox, or I've added this person because of this. So people don't think that others are spying. They actually are thoughtful of why others are engaged in that conversation. Greetings and signatures are like the, the new first and last impression in our emails, right? They set the intention and then they help us close. Generally, when it comes to greetings and signatures, it goes back to what I mentioned before. We have to answer two other questions that guide our digital body language. Who has more or less power? And second, how much do we trust each other? Now, if we have less power, we may wanna err on the side of formal greetings and signatures, especially if we're new to our relationship. So maybe we'll use dear or hi um, or hello if it's very formal and again, being thoughtful about cross-cultural nuances. When in India, sir, madam is actually more formal in digital communication than it's ever used in the United States. With closings, you may again want to err on the side of formality, best regards, or mirror the other person, just like we mirror body language of those more senior or in higher power levels. Now, when it comes to as someone who has more power, you have the opportunity to actually be more informal with someone. If you want to say hi, or you want to showcase more intimacy, you may actually opt to not have a greeting or signature, just have a one-liner to get to the point to showcase that you're more informal. When it comes to trust levels, I like to say, if there's high trust, don't ruminate or worry about this too much. With my team, I'll start with their quick name and then I'll end with E. I won't even write out my name because they know that there is high trust. But if there's low trust, maybe err on the side of best or warmly. Research shows that best is one of the most common ones, but this can also really depend on the background. I'll give you an example. I know a leader in the UK who often ended his emails to his team in Brazil. He has a, a global team with regards or best regards. And he would use phrases like, unfortunately, or I regret to inform you in his emails, which was often his spoken language. His Brazilian colleagues thought he was so off-putting because he never used an emoji or an exclamation mark, which was much more common in their culture. So again, not worrying too much, but being thoughtful of some of these nuances across cultures, gender, generation, power dynamics can be helpful when it comes to greetings and signatures. Oh man, Grammarly really needs you or, or a <laughs> Gmail plugin. Yeah, we need a Gmail plugin, I think. <laughs> and Gmail could theoretically know that I'm writing to a person in Brazil, right? And how often you communicate with them, signaling higher trust versus someone you've never met before or you've never emailed before. I think that digital body language should extend to video meetings, where at the end of video meetings, we almost get like a net promoter score of who talked the most, mm. who talked the least, mm -hmm. and, and some stats around it so that we can be thoughtful, almost like a data-led nudge in our next team meetings to think about, are we including introverts and extroverts? Are we being thoughtful of different voices and checking our own bias or what I'll call digital mansplaining? Wow. <laughs> Okay, so the, your answers to the next couple of questions could really change my life. You've already made me paranoid, but this could just take it to the next level. I am just inundated with email. So I have to tell you a story. A few years ago, one of my colleagues died. 
And I said, why am I spending hours answering email? My friend just died. His family's never going to see him. You think his family's saying, oh, if only my father had answered more email, he, he would be a you know better place. So I said, in his honor, I'm just going to throw away everything in my inbox. I just threw everything away. And to my utter amazement, nobody wrote to me and said, I wrote you 30 days ago. You never answered. So I concluded from this that people's expectations are so low, they don't expect to get an answer. Now, I have done this again as people die, not that particularly morbid. I don't want you to think that. And I also noticed that sometimes I do answer emails which are at the edge of spam, just a form email, and I answer them. And they answer me back saying, guy, I never expected an answer from you. I understand you can't do this, but I so appreciate you answering me. So I'm telling you all these stories because now I have a practice that just about every 30 days when my email inbox gets to be about 500, I throw away everything that's older than 30 days. So now are you telling me that I am just created a heinous problem for myself and hundreds of people are out there thinking I'm an asshole and my digital body language is all messed up. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> what you did is what I recommend in my book, which is set your own boundaries. Okay. We live in a world of constant email overwhelm and Zoom fatigue. And I, I think that one of the key skills I hope to spark a conversation around is this is not the moment to connect more. This is the moment to connect intelligently. And that really has to start with ourselves. We have to bring clarity and sanity back. So whether that's setting rules for yourself around what you will respond to, what you won't, whether that's uh, individuals that I met in my journey writing this book that have email templates, like an auto reply all, because they know they're not going to respond to everything where they actually include, if you want to interview me, email this person, or if you want to work with this person, look at this Calendly link and some people actually appreciate that because there's an autoresponder and there are others that just agree that they're not going to respond. And I think the point is, is that's okay. We have the opportunity to set our own boundaries now. What we, we can realize is that sometimes those quick responses back make people feel appreciated, but we have the opportunity to set our own boundaries around who we're going to respond quickly to and who we may never respond to, as well as those we may catch up with within those 30 days. But you don't find what you just said in conflict with what you said earlier about the nuances and all this, and now you're saying it's okay not to respond? It is okay not to respond. And in other cases, it is not okay not to respond. It depends on the person. It's about knowing your audience. And that, again, is an individual decision. I, I, I feel like in many ways we've taken our email inbox as our to-do list, but it's not our to-do list. It's somebody else's to-do list. And the opportunity we have is actually to take our power back and say to ourselves, maybe take those 10 seconds and say, is this priority for me? And is it urgent for me? And if it's not both, we may not respond quickly. If it is priority, maybe we'll start and come back to it in that month. And if it's not either, then it's lost after 30 days. I think that's totally okay. Oh, 
thank you, God. I thought you were going to tell me, no, guy, you got to answer every email or you're going to be. Oh, no way. No way. I, I sure thank can't. You, it's not humanly possible. However, I do want to share. There is one thing that's important when it comes to saying thank you. Speed matters just as much as substance. So if you want to make a good impression with someone, maybe this is, again, one of those priority meetings. If you just had a meeting, writing a quick thank you note within like 30 minutes or an hour. Again, it takes, you know, a minute by email is like the new virtual handshake. It makes a significant difference doing it within an hour versus the next day or days later, because people feel that virtual handshake versus in the room, they could feel that connection. And it was like a great closing. You already touched on this very briefly, but is having a virtual assistant cheating? I have had virtual assistants <laughs> and I would have folders that were, you know, like the full, there was a folder called no. And any email I dragged into that folder, my VA would reject. And she would craft this most heart rendering. Thank you very much for reaching out to me. What you're doing sounds so exciting. Unfortunately, I'm just tied up with my work at Canva and my podcast. So much as I would love to help you, it's just not possible. And, and so then I would get responses to her response saying, God, you, you're such a warm and emotional person for taking this time out to respond to me personally. And I'm saying, oh, shit, guy, you just cheated your VA. I never even saw that email. So is this cheating or is this better? I think it's better. Yeah, I, I think that it really depends on, on the person. And I talk a lot about just choosing your own authentic style in digital body language. If you're getting hundreds of emails, it's not humanly possible to respond to all of them. And and actually your thoughtfulness and having your VA send something <laughs> is actually better than not responding at all. So you've done it right. I think you're a role model. I'm learning from you here. Oh, Maybe God. some of the things I should be doing. And, and so at the end of the day, again, it goes back to setting boundaries. But what you did is you made people feel valued visibly by responding to them, whether it was you or not you. It's okay because... You showcase that you care, whether that was through your assistant or through you. Oh, thank you, God. And I and do you use any text expansion apps? Do you know what that is? I think so, but tell me more. Oh, oh it's where you, let's say that I get a lot of requests for people to be on this show. Yeah. Okay. So I have, I type in F because that's my precursor to the next part. It has nothing to do with profanity. It's just typing F is easier than typing Z. So it's F guest no. And when I type F guest no, it expands to thank you very much for reaching out to me. I've been inundated with requests. I only have 52 episodes a year. Much as I would love to have you on my show, I just can't have you. And so I send that out a lot of times every day. So I, I would anticipate that you're saying, well, guy, at least you're taking the time to respond. And even though it's text expansion and it takes you five seconds, you're not crafting this email, it's better. It is better. Some people do it as an auto responder. Some people yeah. have an assistant do it. And this is also a great automated way uh, to, to do it with text expansion. We all have the opportunity to make the decision on what works best for us. But what you're showcasing is actually good digital body language because you are showing yeah. others that you hear them and you yeah. value them, even if you can't have them in a meeting with you or on a show. 
It's consistent. You know, if you're consistent in a way that feels genuine, if you're not sort of switching from one way to another, it it doesn't feel uh, insincere, even if you have automated responses. I'll give you an example. If someone used to message you a lot back and forth, very informally, friendly, maybe even using humor, and then they all of a sudden started asking you to work with their assistant and started emails with Dear Erica and Best at the end, you would start to wonder what's going on. So if there's a change in formality, that's when you may want to read the signals. But if someone has a general practice that it doesn't have a lot of change, you actually feel their genuine self, their own authentic style. I feel liberated. Can we switch a little bit to your tips for rocking Zoom or Teams or meetings, whatever, whichever platform? How do you rock Zoom? I have three tips for rocking Zoom or any video call platform. The first tip is if you are hosting the meeting, think less like an office host and more like a TV show host. TV show hosts have always had to connect on a screen from afar. They, number one, have thoughtful agendas or segments before. Number two, they call on people to engage in different segments and they summarize what has just been discussed. Number three, they always make sure to be thoughtful of cutting people off if they're over talking in a meeting. So think like a TV show host, not an office host. Number two, when it comes to Zoom, Remember to use the power of all the modalities. Use the chat tool to engage introverts just as much as extroverts. Avoid that turn-taking or virtual whiteboards. Introverts have told me, I finally have a voice in the meeting now. I never did in the office because I was struggling for airtime. So this is a moment that we can be more inclusive than we ever were in the past. Wait, wait, you're saying by calling on the introvert? No, engaging them to be able to use tools like the chat to share their thoughts, to avoid having to turn take. One of my clients actually does something where she always sends agendas before, and she asks everyone to share their thoughts in the chat before they speak. Research shows we speak better if we've already written down an idea versus just blurting out ideas. And what she also does is she calls on people with the most diverse or different perspectives to avoid that bias as well of a lot of agreement or groupthink. The third tip is when it comes to video meetings, have a note taker who's sending a quick summary of what happened, what are action steps within 30 minutes of that meeting. It can feel like that virtual handshake I discussed earlier, but it can transform meetings. We're in too many meetings where we're discussing what was discussed in the last meeting and taking that time to create alignment involves using an email as well. So those are my three tips for Zoom meetings. All right. Tell me if I'm imagining this, but it <laughs> do you place in a one-on-one virtual meeting above or below a phone call in terms of engagement and all the good stuff? Here I go. It depends. And yeah. I'll give you a few examples okay. on why. Two years ago, a video call was an exception, not the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe in some industries it was more normal, but it was more of an exception. Now is it is the norm, not the exception compared to phone calls. What I have found is that video calls can create more intimacy in some ways, and phone calls can create more intimacy in other ways. Let's start with a video call. Now, obviously, the video call allows us to read on-screen body language. Mm -hmm. We can read someone's hand gestures. We can identify if they're smiling, if they're nodding or head bobbing, and it allows us to understand whether they're engaged. 
We can also read whether they're looking down at their phone or somewhere else or distracted during the meeting and not paying attention or potentially multitasking that we can't see in a phone call. And so video calls have created a level of body language engagement that can deepen intimacy and trust. And they're best used for first meetings, initial meetings. They're also used for deep discussion around complex issues, negotiations, giving feedback, discussions. But on general team meetings, especially when there's a screen share, like for 45 minutes of the hour meeting, I often recommend setting some norms. Maybe everyone needs to be on video for the first five minutes to create that quick first impression connection and then the last 10 minutes. But we don't have to force them to worry how they look on a screen the entire time, especially if they're like me taking notes on the screen. Now, if we go to phone calls, they actually can signal intimacy and that you're close in relationship in certain cases where it's appropriate where we don't need a video call to build that first impression. And we're close enough where I can call you out of the blue or connect with you. I've already built that trust. In other cases, especially in first meetings, they can signal less intimacy, that someone's busy or traveling or doesn't want to look at you on camera. So there I go. It depends. But you can see how actually the phone call versus the video call have different levels of intimacy. I find a video call much more intimate. I almost never take just a phone call anymore. I prefer many more signals in one-on-one virtual call than a one-on-one phone call. Yeah. I, I think that there are more signals definitely in video calls. At the same time, there's high video call fatigue. And it's also not normal for all of us to be on screens all the time. Even right now, we're on video. And I struggle with looking into the camera, especially as someone who presents and speaks all the time, to looking at you because I want to read your body language. And so I, I think that when it comes to being on screen all the time, Actually making eye contact with them, making them feel like you hear them means looking into the camera from time to time. It also means being thoughtful of how you show up. Dressing up on camera in certain cases is important. And also knowing when to check their body language for cues. If somebody would sell a monitor that has the camera in the middle of the screen, you have that? It's called Plexicam. This is one company that uh, does it. It is right in the middle of the monitor. So imagine I'm looking at you. You'll see me looking at you in a way where there's true direct eye contact on screen. And that's just one company that I know that has it. I actually have a Plexicam. I'm not using it right now because I had a virtual presentation today, but it's definitely beneficial. I interviewed a guy named Sam Weinberg, a Stanford professor of history. And his whole thing is about teaching kids how to use the internet in the sense of knowing what to believe and what not to believe. One of his key tips is that when you go to a website, stop going vertically. Vertically means you go down and you read the about us and the contact us and our our members and our founders and all that. He said to go horizontal. So when you go to a website, look up that website on other things in Google, read the Wikipedia entry about it. Nobody's about us says we're a bunch of criminals. Everybody's about us says we're wonderful people. So anyway, so he thinks that at the time that you hand a kid a phone, they should have also taken this course in internet literacy in the sense of a .org doesn't mean 
this is a good organization. Anybody can buy a .org, those kinds of things. Do you think there's going to be a day when there's going to be the Erica curriculum that every kid is learning the nuances of digital body language? I think that more than ever, just like we spent years as children, as adults, mastering traditional body language with books and courses and on-the-job yeah. feedback. What's the difference? Not only the next generation, we all have to master digital body language. And it, it's not only children that are adapting to this new world, it's teachers teaching online. It is doctors in telehealth. It is negotiators in online courtrooms. The applicability really requires all of us to reimagine the importance of these skills. I do think that especially for the students or children learning the cues of what and, and almost relearning the importance of analog body language with digital body language is important because what I am seeing is that as a parent of two children, I have unintentionally taught my kids that it's okay to look at the phone during dinner because I've done it and I'm the culprit. I got to be better at this or that we have a digital persona online and that there are individuals, whether it's our profile picture, whether it's what we put in Google, whether it's what's written about us and how to make meanings and sense out of that digital body language persona. And so I agree, similar to internet literacy, I think we have to build a digital body language literacy as well. How old are your kids? I have a daughter who's two and a half and a son who is 16 months. It's a little so, early. I mean, I thought you're early. teaching them about all caps versus lower and upper oh, case. Not, not yet, but they already know how to get on the phone and go on YouTube pretty quickly. So they're going to be there soon. But I, one of the things I'm finding with the rising generation is how can we make sure we, we teach them the importance of analog traditional body language, how to lean in. Or the eye contact is incredibly important because it's becoming sort of less of a priority as we have screens around us in every single meeting we're in now. The Remarkable People podcast is sponsored by the Remarkable Tablet Company. This is a product that helps you focus because it's specifically meant for note taking, not for checking email, not for checking websites, not for staying up to date on social media. Because of this focus, I asked my guests how they do their best and deepest thinking. I do my best and deepest thinking when I have to think for myself and I don't have the distractions of being able to Google an answer. I don't have the uh, distractions of I can text someone or email someone in my LinkedIn uh, network to get an answer and I don't have someone walking by me to give me an answer. Creative work comes from within. It comes from our own human ingenuity. And in many ways, the reason I wrote this book is because when I was by myself, I realized that there's such a pain right now we're all experiencing. And similar to being that kid that struggled with immigrant traditional body language, today we needed the rule book for digital body language. And that came from meditation and that came from quiet places on my own. I hope this episode has helped you become a better digital communicator. With fewer in-person meetings and in-person interactions, it's a lot tougher to communicate and to engage. Erica and her book provide great information about how to do this. I'm Guy Kawasaki. This is Remarkable People. My thanks to Jeff C. and Peg Fitzpatrick, who have helped me become a better digital communicator too. One more thing. If you're not vaccinated, please consider taking that step. Do it for the kids. Mahalo and aloha.
This is Remarkable People.